Okay, so the guys uh, next door have been playing ping pong <clears throat> all day. The studio uh, is within the same building as a life raft repair and inspection facility. So there's that. Um, but moving onward here, we have Heather Lang Casera on the podcast today, and she um, is one of the first poets we've had on here that, in her dialogue, references some of our other episodes uh, of Poetry Dose, so that was flattering and um, fun to hear the... Uh, perspective of a listener you know we're doing this thing and just putting it out into the world I don't even know if anybody's listening to it honestly <laughs> I just I don't even look at the analytics analytics or anything like that so um it's fun to get a little uh, note back from somebody and say uh, that they've been listening and they've noticed a theme and they've uh, looked into it and so anyway I'm not going to talk anymore I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Heather. Heather Lang Casera is a poet, literary critic, essayist, and literary, transla <clears throat> literary translator. That one gets me every time. She, she was voted 2017 Best Local Writer or Poet by the Readers of Desert Companion, which is Nevada's NPR station publication. Her poetry has been published by the Normal School, Pleiades, that's spelled P-L-E-I-A-D-E-S, and Whiskey Island, among others. And she curated Legs of Tumbleweeds, Wings of Lace, an anthology of literature by Nevada Woman, funded in part by the Nevada Arts Council and National Endowment for the Arts. She serves as world literature editor for TLR, the Literary Review, co-edits uh, Petite Hound Press, and serves as publisher-slash-editor-in-chief for Serving House Books. Heather teaches Asian literature, world literature, modern American drama, and more part-time at Nevada State College. Heather uh, reads her poem at the beginning here and then uh, talks about um, it and other themes. And then at the end of that dialogue, she kind of gives an intro to her school dose segment. So uh, that's how this one is kind of laid out. So let's hear from the great Heather Lang Casera. Coming Undone, number nine. 
written above the clouds. When my plane lands back in the Mojave, it will be your tomorrow, my today, still. I want to tell you that I will wait. Clocks fall forward, controlled, in their own ways. And ours will be three hours apart. I came to be your last mistake to let my hands go down in your silver-lined, red-haired flames. Let's go ahead, lover. Let's ruin some plans. Tomorrow, I will eat my breakfast late, hoping that my spoon might sweep the arch of my bowl in a way that could resonate with the curve the noontime sun will take above you. The world is too much for us to be so goddamn reckless to not come back each time we leave. I would like to say thank you to Atticus Allen and Tina Kane for having me on Poetry Dose today. It's an incredible honor to be able to speak with you a little bit and to read to you on your podcast series, which I just adore. Uh, so thank you so much for this opportunity. I have been enjoying Poetry Dose quite a bit, and I've noticed a few ongoing themes or conversations taking place. And it's my hope that Coming Undone number nine will add to that. More specifically, I have noticed these explorations of place and journey and home and the ways in which they are synonymous and sometimes not so much or not at all. Uh, for example, right off the bat with Tina Kane's first episode, uh, she reads Sirens. And that poem is from her poetry collection, Once More With Feeling which, by the way, it is fantastic, it's palpable, it's raw, it's moving, it's sophisticated. If you haven't read it, you absolutely should. <laughs> um, it's largely about New York City as a home. She explores, for example, uh, her, her dad's experience as a cab driver in the city and her perceptions as a daughter of, of that father and also of the city. And it's really fascinating to me because clearly New York City seems to be a home to Tina Kane. Nowadays, she is the Rhode Island Poet Laureate, and I can't think of someone more deserving of the title of Poet Laureate. She has the Writers in the Schools program. Um, she's one of the most giving souls. Uh, and so she absolutely should, <laughs> of course, be the Rhode Island Poet Laureate. And in a way, Rhode Island seems to be one of Tina's homes and New York City also seems to be a home. And it's fascinating to me how oftentimes home isn't one single place. Uh, Amy Pickworth's episode is, is um, something I've come back to again and again and again. She reads the Ohio poem and I think in part this poem speaks to me because I spent a lot of my youth in Wisconsin and so there's many midwestern-esque <laughs> moments if you will uh in the ohio poem that i feel like uh i feel like they speak to me 
you know, some of the literal narrative bits, um, sometimes just the tone, uh, I feel like it really resonates with me or I have a lot of parallels. Well, my experience in Wisconsin with Amy's in Ohio. Um, Amy talks about reconciling leaving home or trying to. She speaks about how she's very aware of the fact that there are, um, that, that she's disrupted a sort, sort of continuity because her mother lived in Ohio and her mother's mother lived in Ohio. Um, and you know, she left. And so what does that mean? What is home? Is it place? Is it, is it people? What is it? <laughs> um, so it is my hope that Coming Undone number nine can lend something to further that conversation, um, this conversation that's, that's truly intriguing to me about place, journey home, and the like. I feel as though I have a particularly unique understanding of what it's like to love someone from afar. Um, my family was from Wisconsin, but before I was born, my mother and father moved out to Utah. And then when they split, my father stayed in Utah. And my mother and my brother and I went back to Wisconsin. And so I adored my father. Uh, I loved him very much, still do. <laughs> and uh, it was very difficult because I had such limited time with him because I would see him Every once in a while, I would only see him for a short period of time, uh, and so I had to love him from states away. Similarly, I wasn't an overly confident child, <laughs> and so even in a classroom of, let's say, 20-ish students, there was often uh, a student or two who I really admired and I really wanted to be friends with, but I felt like I just couldn't go up to them and start a conversation or you know, I didn't know how to find a spark of common ground to start befriending them. And so even though I was in the same physical space as another student, I, I loved them from afar because I was too afraid to talk to them. So it may or may not be surprising to you <laughs> that when I chose an MFA creative writing program, I chose a low residency program, <laughs> which meant that I would see fellow poets and writers twice a year for about 10 days uh, at a time. And we would write together. We would, you know, attend lectures together. We would live together. And then we would part ways and I would have to mourn their company. I would have to miss having them around each time. So I'm an alum now and um, I go back for alum days as often as I possibly can, but they only happen once a year. Uh, and so I recently went to New Jersey to attend the FDU MFA residency and on my flight back from Newark to McCarran Airport here in Nevada, I wrote a, a love poem, a sonnet of sorts for, um, for my, for the people that I love that, that didn't come back to Nevada with me. So, um, <laughs> That's kind of what Coming Undone number nine is about. Uh, I wrote it while I was flying back and, and I write, when my plane lands back in the Mojave, it will be your tomorrow, my today, still. I want to tell you that I will wait. Uh, clocks fall forward, controlled in their own ways. So I landed at something like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, 1130 p.m., which when it's 1130 p.m. here in Nevada, it is 230 a.m. in uh, the New York City area. And so, you know, I said, it will be your tomorrow, my today. So sometimes we're not even on the same, it's not even the same day <laughs> uh, for me as, as some of these people that I love. Um, I talk about 
you know, when I'm going to eat my breakfast and, and how I'm going to eat my breakfast in a way that I, that I hope can connect me to my friends, uh, many, many of whom I consider family. Uh, I explore the sun and where it's going to be in the sky and what that means that we share the sun and the sky and, and so on and so forth. So the, the final, the final portion of, of this poem, the final reason that I've decided that I wanted to share it with you is that I do continue to workshop with my cohorts through the FDUMFA program. There's a handful of us who just casually, uh, outside of the program, <laughs> we've continued to write together and to workshop together. So once a month, we share these poems with each other and then we give feedback. Sometimes we'll read them aloud to each other if we think that might be helpful. We'll ask questions, um, we'll offer reading recommendations, anything that we might think could further one another's craft will we'll, you know we'll offer up what we have to offer <laughs> uh, so I shared this poem last month with my writing group and the poem is now titled coming undone number nine before it was titled sonnet come undone number nine and the reason that I made that change is this so <laughs> uh, one of my workshop partners wrote this note I'm just going to read it to you seems like a meter cheat, Heather. <laughs> and now he was writing that about a line that's further down in the poem. And he's absolutely right. I was totally, it, it was, it is a meter cheat. Uh, much of this poem abides by the syllable count of a sonnet and even the rhyme scheme of a sonnet, but not all of it. And kind of the general consensus in the group was that I either needed to make the poem a sonnet or not, that it was too close to being a traditional sonnet to have this kind of murky middle ground. Well, um, despite having the utmost respect for my, my fellow workshop uh, folks, I really liked some of my meter cheats um, and I wanted to keep them. So instead of adjusting them and being a bit more formal in structure, I changed the title of the poem from sonnet come undone number nine to coming undone number nine so there is no longer any reference to the poem being a sonnet either in the title or um you know in the content of the poem and so it's my hope that it will render the poem a little bit less self-aware so that folks can either notice that it's a sonnet or not notice or um, more specifically i should say that they can notice that it is sonnet-esque in some ways or that it isn't um <laughs> so that was kind of the compromise that i made uh, after hearing from my loved ones, some of my loved ones from the MFA program. So, as a companion to my poem, I would like to read The Dreams I Don't Remember by Renee Ashley. And there's a few reasons for this. Now, Renee Ashley is a brilliant poet, and she's also become just a dear, dear friend to me. And so she's yet another person who I love, who lives all the way across the country in New Jersey. <laughs> Such a bummer. Um, but more specifically, it's my understanding that one of the um, missions of this podcast series is to include a school dose. And by that, we are to introduce or share a poem that was meaningful to us when we were young. Well, 
I really didn't have much of an introduction to poetry. Um, in elementary school, middle school, or high school, we read a little bit of um, Shakespeare and, and a few other um, you know, classics, if you will, but nothing really connected. I didn't, I didn't really connect with anything. I, I didn't find myself anchored in poetry until much later in life. And Renee Ashley's first poetry collection, Salt, was one of the small handful of books that just grabbed my attention. I read it and I said, wow, I need to write poetry and I absolutely need to read more and more and more poetry. And so for that, I will always be grateful to Renee Ashley and I will always be grateful for um, her collection, Salt. And so I'm going to read The Dream I Don't Remember from that collection. And I am choosing that poem because I feel strongly that if I had this poem to read when I was younger, when I was missing my father, it would have really helped me. I would have felt much less alone. Um, I will read the poem to you, but you, you're going to notice a couple of things uh, about, um, I'm just gonna quote, quote Renee Ashley here. In the dream I don't remember, my father waltzes me on shoes, steel-toed, black, and Chinese licorice. So my father too had work boots. Um, he worked as a well driller and um, just that image of those shoes, those steel toed shoes, I, I could literally see my own father's feet. And later in the poem, uh, Ashley talks about how in this dream that, you know, I don't remember, so it didn't actually happen, which has a heartbreak all of its own. Uh, you know, there is no bottle of port behind the workbench. There is no thoughts of a woman at all. And it captures this moment to me of a father and a daughter and this pure love that that I think many children probably wish for. And being a child of divorce, there's so many moving parts. Um, I love my stepmom. She's fantastic. In fact, she's one of my favorite relatives. But I remember when I would see my dad and we would have such limited time and I felt like we were stealing moments. I didn't like sharing him. I didn't like sharing him with the world or the problems of the world or, you know, my siblings or, um, you know, even even his wife at that point in time, I just didn't understand. And I just wanted these moments to waltz on his shoes or to be there just with him. Um, you know, uh, and, and have these moments and, and, and build these relationships. And so even though the dream I don't remember is a pretty heartbreaking poem, I truly believe it would have helped me because it's not a happily ever after piece. It's something that I think I could have been real with. I could have said, hey, you know, I'm not the only one who misses her dad or who wishes for these moments. So uh, without further ado, I am going to read the Dream I Don't Remember by Renee Ashley. The Dream I Don't Remember by Renee Ashley. In the dream I don't remember, my father waltzes me on shoes, steel-toed, black, and Chinese licorice. There is a white dress of something sheer and white gathered petticoats crisp as paper, two of them, or three, flinging their weightless selves out, one over the other, billowing like an open parachute, out from the shapeless white body, the precarious child. We dance though there is no music, only the dark green painted concrete floor, only the pale green walls. 
the single curtainless window, dusty as a desert, the color of sand. There is no sound, no door. We have no eyes, no memories. We choose to have no mouths, and there is no lover. No bottle of port behind the workbench wall, no pale mother, no time. Just two figures dancing, no thoughts of a woman at all. Just a small girl's white stockinged feet, clinging like wild things to a father's shoes. Thank you very much to Heather Lane Cassandra for contributing. Really stoked to have you on, and thank you for listening also. Um, really appreciate it, and glad to know there's somebody out there listening. Um, again, drop us a line at poetrydose at gmail.com. Music today was from some god-awful band called the Little Compton Band. Uh, they just came out with a new uh, record, so figured we'd throw it up there for them. Um, I happen to be in the in the group, so it's unfortunate for me. But nevertheless, um, I spent a lot of time doing it, so check it out. Um, also, Tina Kane dot Inc. And you can find out more about Rhode Island's poet laureate Tina Kane. And until next time, um, read poetry. Write poetry um, and scrape it off the bottom of your shoe. (laughs) All right. Later.